Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Let's go, Blue Jays Nation Radio, episode 140. And this is going to be a weird one to break down, Coombsy. Uh, that, again, the classic series where they play really damn good for two games and then don't do good in the third game. So it feels weird to hop on here and be like, what a series. <laughs> Yeah, it, it. I was sitting there during the third game on Sunday, coming up with all these topics and all these, let's just do six up, six positives for the sweeps, because they won on Friday, really tight game. It was, the, of course, the rematch of the wildcard game. Luis Castillo goes for Seattle, Alec Manoa goes for Toronto. And then on Saturday, Kevin Gosman pitches a gem, Dalton Barshow hits the walk-off single. They go down big on Sunday, 4 nothing, following a grand slam in the first inning by Seattle, but they come back, and it looks like they've got this thing in the bag. And then Anthony Bass goes and makes a huge mess and expects somebody else to clean it up. And then they wind up losing the Sunday game. So the vibes are a little bit off. It's a little bit, you know, it looked like six up, zero down. But now it's kind of just, you know, two or three from Seattle ain't bad. But definitely a bitter pill to swallow seeing the Mariners come out with a 10-8 win that featured a huge comeback. I do not want to see that anymore. Don't want to, don't, don't want to go through that anymore. But it, it just keeps happening for some reason. I blame myself for uh, cursing them. I said when the Jays erased the 4 nothing deficit and went up 8-4, I tweeted, mm-hmm. best comeback I can remember involving Jays and Mariners. Can't, not even close. Um, and then the Mariners really made me eat my words on that one. Uh, before we get into 3-up, three 3-down, three <laughs> let's talk about the return of Teoscar Hernandez in this series, Coombsy. It was an interesting one. He really struggled, but he did hit a dinger in, uh, in the third game, but he struck out seven times in 12 at-bats. That uh, wasn't great. And also, the standing ovation thing, like, what are we doing there? Yeah, so interesting thing. I noticed this on Twitter yesterday because um, Teoscar, of course, on Friday gets the standing ovation before his first at-bat. I think it came in this, the first inning, second inning, whatever. So he, he steps out of the batter's box, gets like a, a decent amount of time to wave to the crowd, gets a huge cheers, as we all expected. Great Blue Jay, really lovable player. But um, the the note here comes from way earlier in the season when the L.A. Dodgers were hosting the Chicago Cubs. Cody Bellinger came back to L.A. and was called for a strike because he stepped out to do his standing ovation with Dodgers fans. And what MLB has asked for teams to do is you have to give them 24 hours notice before the game saying in so-and-so players first at bat, he's going to get a standing ovation from the crowd. We're going to give him like a video tribute. You have to give him 24 hours of notice. 
notice. I, I doesn't it seem like you could just kind of tell the umps right before the game and be like, "Hey, look, Teoscar's batting fifth. Used to be a J. Can we give him thirty seconds?" You have to email the league about that. To me, that sounds like so excessive. Yeah, like it feels like the catcher when the guys on deck could just turn and be like, "Hey." video tribute coming like the umps aren't stupid as well the umps would know know. they're around the league they follow the league closer than anyone they know who's gone where and what seasons and over the off season feels like the umps would be like oh shit teoscar plays for the mariners now i bet you they do something for him they're not dumb (laughs) that was just really weird um it was nice kind of it was kind of nice seeing him hit that dinger because i love the guy and you know on twitter people were reliving you know the big home run two home run game last year in the playoffs and all of that it was nice to see him back, um, but that was weird. And he struggled, which was interesting. It was. I feel like, and I hate saying this, I feel guilty saying it because I, I'm on your side. I really like Teoscar as a Blue Jay. I liked him for, um, even even with the, the, the frustrations I'm going to mention right away, it did feel like we got a lot of the Teoscar Hernandez experience in that series. <laughs> I don't think he was spectacular in the outfield. There were some balls where when they went out there, you were like, oh yeah, I think Dalton Barshow probably makes this play Teoscar didn't and then there was you know he goes one for 12 with the seven strikeouts he does hit the bomb in the third game off of Trevor Richards that's Mm -hmm. kind of a catalyst in their comeback but it it really was the the Teoscar experience some some kind of shoddy play in the outfield I'm not going to say terrible no huge gaffes but just just kind of meh level defense and then all of those strikeouts man seven strikeouts it was like Almost every time he was coming up, we make the Bowen 2 joke, but it felt like Teoscar was down 0-2 in every single bat he came up. But good to see the Jays give him a nice video tribute. Good to see the fans be receptive. Uh, The fans giving him the clap on Friday is one thing, but I think the fans giving him a big clap as he hit that home run, rounding the bases, that was really nice to see. That was really classy on Jays fans. They could, you know, I'd say if that were a player going back to Boston or to New York and they hit a home run against their former team, I don't think you're going to hear that. So I think good on Jays fans for for being classy with Teoscar. Yeah, it was good. Uh, let's get into three up, three down. They won the series, so we are going to start with the ups, even though it was a shitty ending to things. Uh, but number one, the starting pitching stayed hot in the beginning parts of this series, and Kevin Gosman struck out 13 batters over seven innings. That was absolutely incredible. He only walked one. He scattered six hits over the seven. That was maybe as dominant as we've seen Kevin Gosman as a Jays starter And it also has ignited the Kevin Gosman Cy Young talk as well. We're about at that point, you know, a month into the season where we start to kind of get a feel for which guys are maybe on a different level, which guys could be having career years. These kind of talks start to happen. Kevin Gosman firmly in the Cy Young conversation. Yeah, definitely. So now he's at for the season. He's made six starts. He's at a 2.33 ERA, which is slightly better than his FIP, which is 240. So the peripheral numbers say he's dominating. The ERA says he's dominating. Uh, You look at the other underlying numbers, hardly any walks per nine, 1.4, which is exactly where he was at last year. And then his strikeouts have ticked up to 12.6 strikeouts per nine. Last year, it was 10.6. So we're getting a slightly better version of Kevin Gosman this year than last. And we're also getting the batted ball luck. Remember last year, his ERA is like 3.35, but his FIP's all the way down in the twos. So, And that was the result of every single ball that made its way. You know, everyone that made contact with a ball found some green last season, it seemed. So yeah, with Gosman, I mean... We're getting the kind of something similar to what we got last year, but we're also getting the batted ball luck, which is so important. I mean, 
Gosman's had a quality start in every single outing this year, except for that one in Houston, which all of us know that was an anomaly. Like nobody was coming out of that start in Houston thinking, oh man, like the league's figured out Kevin Gosman. He's struggling. He's something wrong. Everyone knew like he had a terrible first inning, allows the seven runs, and then he nearly makes it through five innings. And then since then, his next two starts against the Yankees in Seattle, two playoff teams from last year, Seven innings, three hits, no earned runs, no walks, 11 strikeouts, and then the one against Seattle. Seven innings, six hits, one walk, 13 strikeouts. The 13 strikeouts are a career high, too. Previously, his career high was 12 with the San Francisco Giants. So, I mean, we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing the best of Kevin Gosman so far this year, and given what we saw last year, there's no reason to assume it doesn't just keep up all year, and he's firmly in the mix for the Cy Young. Yeah, and I mean, last year, I don't want to say this is... You know, hundred percent predictable by us or by anyone for anything or for any or anything like that. Um, but when we saw the Babbitt last year and all of those things, it felt like Kevin Gosman, even though he still had a great season, had one of the more unlucky seasons in that Jays rotation. And this just feels like things regressing to the mean, or however you would say that, right, <laughs> Coombsy? Like he's maybe now getting a little bit of good luck, not just having his luck not be shit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. It's did did any of us make that prediction on our um on our prediction show with BK, did any of us predict Kevin Gosman, Cy Young? It feels doable, right? Like we we all talk about maybe there's like a Vladdy MVP season, something like that. But it doesn't feel like we talk that much about the pitchers and the Cy Young, which is interesting because, you know, Robbie Ray wins it a few years ago. Alec Manoa finishes third last year. It feels like in recent memory, the Jays are, I think Hyunjin Ryu in the COVID season was also second or third. Feels like in the past few years, almost every year, there's either a Jay right in the mix for the Cy Young or winning the Cy Young. So yeah, I definitely, I, I don't think it's crazy right now to sit here and be like, you know what, bold prediction for for later in the year, Kevin Gosman wins that Cy Young. Yeah, second up we have, we're sticking with some arms, and it's the fact that the bullpen just was red hot in that thing. Um, and it's like throughout the whole bullpen, Coombsy, it's not like one or two guys are just carrying the bulk of the load and pitching all the innings, like, Save the third game. We'll talk about that later. But Tim mm-hmm. Meza, Jimmy, Jimmy Garcia, Eric Swanson, Jordan Romano, Zach Pop, everyone in those first two games threw like really, really good innings. Yeah, the Jays got a kind of a it was a, it was an OK start for Alec Manoa. It wasn't a dominant one. It was better than what he had last year in the wild card game. He dealt with some adversity, calmed down, kind of bared through it, but he only goes five innings. So after that, they got Tim Meza, Garcia, Swanson, and Romano. Every single one of those guys tossed a scoreless, clean frame with two strikeouts. And then in the second game, when, you know, Gosman tosses his gem, but the offense can't come up with a hit, it's Zach Pop coming in for the eighth, clean inning. Jordan Romano comes in for the ninth, clean inning. Eric Swanson comes in with the lead, strikes out three guys. I mean, if, if if one guy's performance really stood out over this weekend at Swanson for pitching two scoreless frames, striking out, what, five of the, five of the six batters he faced, yeah. his former teammates, he, he really showed incredibly well. And unfortunately, we had the situation on Sunday with the guys more at the back of the bullpen, but when you have those big guys going, um, dominating like that, it and and you couple that with your starting pitchers going to deep in a lot of ball games, like so much of what uh, so much of the pitching is clicking for the Blue Jays right now. So many things are going right, like starters going deep, the bullpen's not heavily taxed. Since they're not heavily taxed, they're throwing strong innings. Everything's really working right now. Yeah, and hey, again, shitty that they blew that lead on Sunday. Not fun. Could have been like totally different or whatever. Um, but they've won three series in a row now. It is very hard to complain about anything with this team. And I also think it's worth noting when you look at a lot of those games, you know, it was a 5-2 win over the White Sox. That one was tight. You won 3-2 and won nothing against the Mariners. Like, 
the bullpen, I know the starting pitching has been absolutely great as well, but the bullpen like is one of the big reasons why they're on this run. It's maybe the biggest reason why they're on this run. Like they're getting they're they're not just eating up innings, like they're eating up impactful, meaningful, tight innings, like big moments. Yeah, there was a graphic that came out on the broadcast, and it's it's kind of funny the timing of this. Because as we have to preface everything we talk about with the bullpen about one of our down points for later. But yeah. in the third game, right before they they melted down, they showed the bullpen in the last five games. It was 15 innings pitch, zero hits, two walks, zero earned run, 26 strikeouts. I remember I, I wasn't fully paying attention to what they were talking about in the broadcast. I didn't see a tweet or anything after confirming it. But they were saying that was the second most strikeouts by a, a group of relievers in a five-game stretch in MLB history. That's what I think I heard in the broadcast. Yeah. Something like that, which, cool. Bullpen's firing. That's what you like to see. Great. Uh, let's keep moving along on to our third up for this one. He did not have a great series by any measure, but watching Dalton Varsho get that walk-off hit, the celebration after his interview, after saying he's going to put the ball somewhere special, the Jays posted a video of uh, George Springer like banging on the dugout while he was doing his interview, yelling at him. It was one of the big feel-good moments we've had this season. Hopefully it's a catalyst for him offensively, even though the third game of the series wasn't great for him. I hate that we keep having on every positive point we make. Oh, yeah, but the third game of the series wasn't great. Uh, but Dalton Varsho's walk-off hit was awesome. One of those moments I think we'll look back on like later in the year and be like, ah, that, that one ranks in like the top 10 for games. Yeah, undoubtedly. That 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 Saturday game had the makings, the potential to be a very frustrating one. One of those ones where Kevin Gosman, your starter, goes and pitches incredibly well, and then you have some good innings from the bullpen. It goes into extra innings, and then now with the ghost runner on second, it's kind of a coin flip. You don't really know what to expect, but for the Jays, Eric Swanson comes in, tosses that great inning in the 10th, and then after that, uh, in the bottom of the 10th, you know, the game's tied 0-0. Vladdy comes up hits the single, and then they intentionally walk Matt Chapman so the bases are loaded. I was a little worried when I saw Varsho coming up. I was like, ah, geez, like, you know, he's had a really rough time recently. But my thinking was, okay, like, he has such good speed that even if he puts it on the ground, I don't think they're going to double him up. And then he made all of it irrelevant by just smashing a ball into the outfield. We'd all really love to see Varsho heat up. It feels like he had a really nice start to his career as a Blue Jay. I remember pretty early on he had that game where he, makes a good defensive play in the outfield. He bunts for a single. He hits a home run, and we're like, wow, this guy can do it all. And then the defenses stayed. They're like, I, I said that last podcast, that's what you want. You want the, the strong defense in the outfield, but the bat hasn't really stayed there. So like you said, hopefully this is a catalyst for him to heat up a little bit. I, I don't know if it will be given the way things went on Sunday, but still a great moment for, for a new Blue Jay. It's always nice to see somebody – Join the team and contribute early. He was contributing really well in the first week of the season, kind of cooled down. But to get that walk-off win against a team that the Jays have some blood with, there's I don't I don't think I wouldn't call it a rivalry per se, but you know a team that they'd love to beat given what happened last year. So it's a nice way for Varsho to endear himself to his teammates, the fans, all of that beating the Seattle Mariners with a walk-off single. Dalton Varsho over his last 15 games is batting average is 105 and he struck Ooh. out 16 times in 57 at bats. It has uh, not been going great for Varsho basically in the entire month. Like you talked about when he was doing well, Coombsy. Those came before April yet when they had those two couple of games <laughs> to start the season. So the month of April, not kind to Dalton Varsho, but here's to open that walk-off hit. Like you said, bit of a catalyst for him moving forward. Uh, let's rattle off a few more here. Alejandro Kirk looked good. Whit Merrifield 
continues to roll along. That bow home run was electric in the moment as well. Uh, out of those three, which one kind of stands out the most to you? I think the Alejandro Kirk one's the one that I want to mention here. Since the start of that, since since the Blue Jays' schedule started to get difficult in April, it starts off with the Tampa series. You have Houston, you have New York, you have Seattle, a whole bunch of playoff teams. Kirk has gone 10 for 31, and he's struck out six times, and he's walked 10 times. He's homered once. He has an OPS of 952. We had kind of mentioned a few times on different podcasts, Vladdy and Bo and Matt Chapman have been so ridiculously good to start the season. Inevitably, they're going to slow down. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to be MVP world beating 1100 OPS for the entire season. So the Jays need some guys lower in their lineup to contribute. And one of those guys now who's, who's stepping up is Alejandro Kirk. Yep. He's been a ridiculously good hitter for the past couple of weeks. And then of course, throughout the entire season, you've had Whit Merrifield who's been on base safely every single game this season, which <laughs> seems wow. kind of nuts, but yeah, here we are. The Jays are getting contributions from elsewhere in their lineup. We just talked about Varsho. Hopefully he heats up soon too, but, but there's some depth guys who are coming through for the Jays, which is, which is very good. That's what you like to see. Yeah. With that being said, what did you make of them pinch hitting Whit Merrifield for Kevin Kiermaier? That seems like a moment in game three when you really kind of galaxy brained things. No, I, I guess maybe there was the defensive upside of having him in the game and throwing him in the outfield. But that was one where it was like, let Merrifield just hit. Even if the matchup's not great for him, let him hit. Is that what it was? I can't remember what happened. Was it? Uh, I thought Kiermaier came in defensively for Merrifield. I, oh I yeah, sorry. And then he ended up getting an AB because things got yeah, close. that's yeah, right. Sorry, because they that. thought they thought it was going to be oh yeah, we needed our our our, our defensive yeah. upgrades to protect this lead. And then there's not much you can do when all the balls yeah. are being hit out of the park. Kevin Kiermaier can't catch them, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the upgrade defensively is big enough to warrant that, but. This is something we'll definitely talk about in a minute here. Is there's been a lot of decisions by John Schneider mm -hmm. that have a very distinct Charlie Montoyo energy to them. Oh, no. Uh, don't say that. Uh, let's get to our three down. Uh, I will give full credit to Blue Jays Twitter. They were absolutely on fire when the Jays were going up against Easton McGee. Some of the stuff, uh, I saw someone tweeted, Easton McGee is the nickname you give a guy on your slow pitch team who only uses Easton gear. Uh, I thought that one was good. Someone else had one that was like, good to see Kevin Gosman going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the other Cy Young candidate in the AL East. And I don't know if you caught this, but after the game, he got put on the 15-day IL with a right arm strain. So he literally pitched his arm out in uh, in that game. It was something. Uh, I it just It's annoying because the Jays have this tendency and I can never tell if it's something that we only notice because we follow this team closely and like, does it happen to every other team six or seven times throughout the year? And we obviously just never hear about it. But watching some dude named Easton McGee at one point get six outs on like 10 pitches, Coomzy, who does shit like that? It was wildly annoying. Yeah, it was insane. This guy, I mean, to his credit, he's had a pretty good season this year at AAA before coming up he had made five starts had a 3-1-4 ERA for Seattle's AAA team uh, I guess the the real pattern we're looking for here is that he used to be a minor leaguer of the Tampa Bay Rays Damn but it. then if you look at his numbers with Tampa man like they're not good at all so 2022 he's pitching for Tampa's AAA team 5.43 ERA only six strikes out 6.9 batters per nine um, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I feel like this, this has got to be kind of a confirmation bias. Everyone feels like 
shitty random pitchers, quadruple A sixth starters come up and dominate their teams. But I swear since 2016 when Jose Bautista made that, he's probably shaking in his boots comments about that spot starter that Cleveland had to use in the ALCS. What was his name? Ryan Merritt or Mallet or something? something that, yeah. yeah, Ryan Merritt. And then he proceeds to just dominate them, tossing his like little league junk. Uh, for some reason, this always happens to the Jays, and it's frustrating because, I don't know, could you imagine this going the other way and, like, Thomas Hatch making a spot start and holding the Seattle Mariners to one hit over six innings? No. It would never happen. It would never happen. There's no way. Like, <laughs> it's inconceivable. Like, think about all the, the – this literally happened last year. The Jays were running into, like, injury issues in July when they went out to Seattle, and um, I think Casey Lawrence or Hatch or Anthony Banda, guys like that, were all pitching, and they all got lit up. So I mean, it's it's frustrating. There's 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 no real logical reason why this happens, except for okay, I guess maybe they don't have any scouting reports on this guy. They probably think he's going to be easier to hit than he is. They just wind up getting some bad batted ball luck. There was a ton yeah. of balls on the ground. Nothing snuck through. Probably just something to to chalk up to bad luck. But I mean, ever since that comment in 2016, it feels like they're cursed to deal with this at least a few times a season. You mentioned like there is luck involved in that. Like it's not like the guy came out and struck out nine J's and it was like, oh my God, his stuff is electric. Like he pitched well. I'm not trying to take mm-hmm. anything away from him, but you're right, Coomzy. A couple balls could have snuck through. There was a lot being put in play there and some of them just went right at the Mariners and there's nothing you can do about that. Um, as much as maybe when you look at the earned runs, you go, wow, Easton McGee went toe-to-toe <laughs> with Kevin Gosman. And I guess he did, but those were both wildly different performances as we all know. Uh Talking about luck, talking about things like that. Chris Bassett dealt with some tough luck in uh, in his start because he gives up that first inning grand slam. But that first inning grand slam, and I don't want to sound like too much of a homer here, but that shouldn't have happened. He should have been out of that inning with a strikeout two or three batters before that. Multiple chances, multiple moments where he should have been out of that inning with a strikeout. And Coombsy, if you look at his stat line, five innings pitched, four earned runs, seven Ks. If you take the Grand Slam out of it, Chris Bassett just threw a freaking gem. Yeah, I mean, if you take the the first inning wound up being, like, I can't remember how many pitches it was. I feel like it was touching close to 40, like at least 30, 35. Every count was going deep. Yeah, every single one. I mean, and and it's it's frustrating because he comes into the game and kicks things off by striking out J.P. Crawford and Eugenio Suarez, and then Jared Kalenic comes up. And this was the one where it really looked like Bassett had struck out this side and there was a borderline really close one and was called a ball. And then he winds up drawing the walk. Cal Raleigh, same thing. He allows um, the count goes full, draws a walk. And then Teoscar, kind of the same thing as well. Bassett has a chance to finish him off, winds up hitting him and loads the bases for Taylor Trammell, who's, I don't know, he was once upon a time, he was a really highly touted prospect, hasn't really been able to figure it out. And then he hits a moonshot, just blasts it into the outfield for a grand slam. It really feels like this inning should have been over at like 12 pitches. It should have been a three up, three down, three strikeout inning for Bassett. But yeah, like like you said, I don't want to sit here and complain too much about the home plate umpiring because it felt like it was reasonably consistent in that game. It was a weird strike zone for both pitchers. But man, that's really frustrating, especially given the way that Bassett pitched afterwards. It looks like if not for that first inning, he could have had, you know, a, and, and, and this is this is, you know, the other innings could have gone completely differently had it not have been for this. Yeah. So I'm not saying it was a guarantee by any stretch, but it looked like the way he was going there in the later innings, that could have been like a six or seven deep 
six or seven inning deep start with like eight or nine strikeouts. But the the way the first went just just completely derailed things and made it so hard for him to pitch any kind of distance beyond that. Yeah. Uh, before we get to our third up, I'm throwing in a bonus one in the middle here, and it's the existence of Cal Rally, a guy oh, who I made a slow pitch joke earlier. That dude looks like he should just be playing slow pitch, and yet he absolutely murders the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't like that guy. I don't like his name, um, but I will admit <laughs> he gets the better of the chase. Like every at bat, man. I know. I think in the first game he struck out like four times, so I'll take that with me, but Man, those two dingers in that third game were just so annoying. Yeah, that was that was mind-numbing stuff. It's uh, we talk about Seattle bringing up some random no-name pitcher to go and and just dominate them like that, and then all of a sudden you have this Cal Raleigh who hits like three home runs in the series. Hit up, he hit a home run against them in the playoffs last year too, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. He had one of the big hits. I, I've, I've wiped a lot of that out from my mind, but I do remember Cal Raleigh. He really stands out. No, I'm com- I completely agree with you here. It's it's there's nothing more frustrating. It's it's significantly less frustrating to get beat by. By, you know the other team's best guy than it is to come and get beat by whoever the fuck <laughs> random random player it's always it's it's always frustrating when a team has a blue jays killer but i mean you think about it from from the other perspectives and imagine being some other team and you're like oh yeah we just struck out vladdy and matt chapman and then like Whit Merrifield or Dal- Dalton Varsho comes through with a huge hit. So like every team has these situations, but Cal Raleigh is a player. I, I, <laughs> I would be thrilled if I never had to watch him play again. hundred uh, percent. Okay. Bullpen question now, because we have been hinting at this and putting it off. It's our third down. It happened in game three. The Jays absolutely meltdown with a big lead late in that ball game. Here's how I'm going to tee up for this. Kunzi. Was this simply a hot streak has to come to an end at some point and some guys were just due for tough outings? Or was there something John Schneider could have done differently in the way he handled things in game three? Yeah, there's a, I think there's, yeah, there's a couple of different approaches you can take. Trevor Richards comes in and he was, I think, largely fine. He goes the two innings and allows that one home run to Tay Oscar. That kind of gives Seattle a little bit of life, but fine performance. Then Anthony Bass came in, and to be fair to him, Santiago Espinal makes an error. And then after that, he allows the two-run home run. But this is, you know, Anthony Bass going up against somebody who's a switch hitter, can switch left hand, switch to hit left-handed. He struggles with lefties, so maybe not the best idea. Jimmy Garcia gets the last out of the eighth inning after Bass is pulled, mm-hmm. but then he walks a guy to start the ninth. And then that run comes around to score. And then Zach Pop, it's the same thing. A right-handed pitcher going up against lefties allows the home run. Um, I don't know. Uh, to me, it kind of feels like, okay, they couldn't use Romano. They couldn't use Swanson because they had both pitched on Friday and Saturday. But it seemed kind of odd that you had Seattle, who's a team who has some pretty big left-handed bats, just not to see Tim Meza in any situation. And I mean, I feel like I'm being a hypocrite because I've said a handful of times that I never really feel great when Tim Mays is coming into a game, but I think I'd rather see Tim Mays go up against difficult lefties than I'd like to see Anthony Bass do so. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the Twitter thing. Maybe it's just him making himself the annoying main character. But man, oh man, I don't want to see Anthony Bass pitch yeah. really ever if the ball game's even remotely close. Because man, he has not even sort of gotten the job done this year at all. 
It's kind of funny when you think back to when that deal was made, right? Anthony Bass was the big fish acquired from the Marlins. But now it's, man, Zach Pop's the guy. Zach Pop is our boy. Um, One, way more likable. Canadian on the Blue Jays. Always a great story. But Anthony Bass has not pitched well this year. And it'll be interesting to see, like, again, we're so, there's so much time for things to change. Like, Zach Pop could have six straight bad outings and he's down in AAA at some point. I'm not saying that's going to happen or I think that's going to happen. But it's hard to predict the way an MLB season is going to go. But I see a world where as you get closer to the deadline or as you get close to a guy like Green coming off the IL at some point in this season, I wouldn't be surprised if we come down the stretch into playoff time, Anthony Bass isn't on this roster at some point, or if they go to seek out an upgrade on him specifically at the deadline. Yeah, there's a few there's a few names here who are kind of veteran names where given the where the Jays are competitively and given how much pitching depth they have in general, they have good arms down in AAA. Like, look, we saw Nate Pearson make his debut recently. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it would have been nice to see him on Sunday. I don't know. But there's a there's a whole bunch of arms in the mix who could do good things. So you have guys like Trevor Richards, Adam Simber, Anthony Bass, guys who have been good in the past and good for this team in the past that you know, they're, they're not guys who are going to be sent down to AAA, but they're guys who maybe they're involved in a trade later to upgrade the team somewhere else. Maybe they wind up getting designated for assignment because the Jays have to make a difficult decision in order to make room for a different reliever. But since it's just the beginning of May right now, we're not going to see the Jays go ahead and DFA Anthony Bass after a difficult month as much as, you know, everyone might dislike the guy for his Twitter antics. And and now, to be fair to him, he has deactivated his Twitter account, which is probably a good thing. It's probably good to be thinking about the field and not the fucking internet, Anthony. Um, yeah, the, the Jays aren't going to DFA a guy like that one month into the season. And uh, what we'll probably see before that is uh, going on the injured list with Ryan Arm shittiness, like a made-up injury, to give him some time to figure some stuff out. I, I'd be pretty stunned if they went and pulled the trigger on a yeah. move like that. But hey, a few months from now, you never know. Like The Jays are in their competitive window. If it's July and he's not getting the job done, what can you they, do? They got two guys sitting on the IL who will likely come back at some point this season and i think then some tough choices uh may have to be made uh let's get set for what's coming up next and go around the american league a little bit but first step aside for a quick break hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
All right, Coomzy, uh, four coming up in Boston. But, I mean, we were just talking about transactions before we took the break. Uh, the Jays did make a little trade. Tyler Heineman back in the mix. Yeah, the Jays have a third-string catcher now. So I, I there, there, there was always talk, okay, Dalton Barsh was a catcher, so he could hypothetically catch in an emergency situation. I really feel like the team would like to avoid that happening. So they've acquired Tyler Heineman, who was on the team for a little while last year. He signed a minor league deal made a few starts for the Jays when Jansen and Kirk were injured at the same time, and it was him and Zach Collins were the duo. This was like a year ago now, and it's like the early part of the 22 season that's very easy to forget. But yeah, they've traded Vinny Capra, who was a, whatever, a utility minor league player who came off the 40-man in the offseason and came back on a minor league deal. Now they have a third catcher, somebody who can ride the bus back and forth from Buffalo because they're optionable. Um, that's pretty much all this is. If you, the, the one interesting thing about Heineman that I noticed well while browsing on Twitter is that two of the games that he started are la- caught last year. He caught for Yusei Kikuchi, and Kikuchi pitched well. So there's talk that he's a Kikuchi whisperer, but I don't know if that matters anymore because it seems Kikuchi has figured it out regardless. Yeah, Kikuchi's dialed in. We don't need Tyler Heineman to uh, catch his games. Uh, looking at the American League East standings, Jays 7-3 and three in their last 10, but not enough to catch either the Orioles or the Rays, who are 8-2 and two and 7-3 and three in their last 10, respectively. Uh, but one team that appears to be going into the toilet is the New York Yankees. They've lost three games in a row, and I think it's absolutely hilarious. I would love to see this team continue to struggle, but I did not have the Yankees sitting last in the AL East at the one-month mark, one mark of the season. In fact, if you would have shown me these standings, going Tampa, Baltimore, Toronto, Boston, New York, <laughs> if you would have shown me that or that flipped at the start of the year and been like, which one's it going to be? I would have been like, ah, oh, damn, that's actually like a pretty tough choice. Yeah, that is a really weird one. Um, Yeah, the Yankees are in last in the AL East, which is awesome. But to be fair, they're only 15-14, so they're far from bad. But the thing about the Yankees that that makes them look kind of mid and makes them look like, geez, are they really going to sort this thing out? What's going to happen is the fact they can't score any runs. Like, you look at their series against Texas... The finale on Sunday, they score two. On Saturday, they get shut out. On Friday, they only score two. The one game they won, they only scored four. And it's it's New York's pitching that's kind of carrying them through being bad to instead be mid. And I don't know, man. Like, they got a lot of injuries in their pitching staff. I don't know how long it can keep up. But it does feel like we talk about this a lot. Mm-hmm. That, oh, this version of the Yankees ain't the same version of the Yankees that we know and oh maybe this is the year they collapse but it never seems to happen i'm never gonna sit here and bank on a yankees collapse i i do enjoy them being what appears to be mediocre but i just kind of feel with new york their lineup is dog shit right now but they're gonna go and find someone who's been dfa'd a month and a half into the season and they're gonna catch fire like last year they had matt carpenter yep who like what goes in and, and is just dominant for, for, for a period of, and it makes no sense. So I would imagine that's something that's going to happen. Either that or like Aaron Judge goes nuclear and puts up like an MVP month. Maybe they start letting him hit juiced balls again. And he can hit like 25 homers in a month, that kind of thing. I, I would be shocked if the Yankees remained bad for that long. All right, four games coming up at or uh, four games coming up against the Boston Red Sox. The Jays are rolling with the big guns early in this series, Barrios and Kikuchi, and they'll finish <laughs> off the four gamer with Manoa and Gosman, two games where they'll look to overcome the starting pitching. Uh, but for the Red Sox, I mean, I'm looking at this rotation and I'm licking my chops for the Jays. It's going Kluber, Hauk, Pavetta, Bello. You know how many of those guys have an ERA <laughs> under five? one of them, and it's Tanner Houck, whose ERA is 4.5. So they don't have a single starter in their rotation whose ERA is less 
than Tanner Houck's 4.5. This is a group of arms that is not that good, and I think the Jays can absolutely roll the Red Sox. They did it last year. They, well, they've done it in the last couple of years. They've played the Boston Red Sox very, very well, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to more of that here. Yeah, last year the Jays beat the Red Sox 16 times in 19 games. And that also involved some ridiculously lopsided scores. I'm looking mm-hmm. at Boston's worst scores here. And of course, number one is that game in July where they lost 28 to 5 to the Jays. That was the game where Rymel Tapia hits the inside yeah. the park grand slam, which is one of the funniest things. And then Boston goes out and signs him in the offseason. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, the, the Jays dominated Boston last year. Boston's pitching is no better this year than it was last. Um, their lineup can hit, man. Like uh, Raphael Devers is killing it this year. Um, they have they have a they have a reasonably deep lineup. This is probably going to be a high scoring series, but I would expect I would really expect the Jays to tee off on Boston's pitching. I think that you, given the way the things have gone for the Jays so far and how strong they have looked, I think you're coming you're going into this thinking. Three out of four of Fenway. Sometimes you'd be thinking, ah, Fenway, a little bit random. Like, Red Sox are good at home. Split. No, the Jays have dominated the Red Sox recently. They're playing well this year. It should be three out of four. Yeah, uh, last year the Jays scored nine plus runs against the Red Sox four times in their 19 games. I am not very good at math, but that is a pretty good percentage (laughs) and leads me to believe the Jays will do it once in this series there's my bold take for this week is that the jays will put up nine runs on the red Sox once in this four gamer uh but i'm also excited to see how the jays arms can keep rolling i mean chris bassett again if you take the first inning out of it he was very good i want to see barrios and kikuchi kind of keep their little runs going as well and kevin gosman also last year dominated the Boston Red Sox. Like there was a couple of games, if I'm not misremembering, where he was just absolutely nails against them. So that's another one to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, Gosman's the one, if you're looking back from, if you're you're going backwards, Gosman's the one at the end of the series on Thursday where you're like, they really should win this game. And then you look at Barrios, Kikuchi, Manoa, they've all pitched well recently. But, you know, there's always questions. There's always there's always uncertainties, especially with those latter two, Barrios and Kikuchi. It's hard to say what to expect. Boston's got a good lineup. Like I said, I think it's going to be a lot of high-scoring games. It'd be really nice to see um, a pitcher like Manoa go and, and pitch really well against the Red Sox. I mean, you can say that with any of these three, really. Like, they've had a lot of fantastic starts recently. But if you can go into Fenway and quiet down Boston's offense, then I think you're feeling really good. Yep, 100%. All right, Coombsy, four against the Bosox, and uh, we'll break things down on BGN Radio later on this week. Enjoy the games. Best wishes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.